0: Welcome to New Idea Live, the podcast of the Ironman Institute. I'm Agustina Vergara Cid. When I discuss having freer immigration in the US, a common objection that I hear is something along the lines of if we have freer immigration, America is going to end up like Europe. But is this true? And what are these problems that are happening in Europe with immigration? And could these problems also happen in the US if we have freer immigration? With me are Onkar Gatte and Iko to discuss these issues. Welcome, guys. Hi. Hi, everyone. So this is the claim that I commonly hear when discussing immigration, that we're going to have the same problems as Europe. What are the problems in Europe? That he, there is a huge Muslim immigration and that these Muslims, these immigrants are not assimilating and they are breaking laws. They are assaulting women and they just, they they segregate and they don't respect uh, the customs or the the laws of their adopted countries. So, Ankar, what do you make of this claim?
1: I think the first thing that one has to do is distinguish between normal immigration and part of what we're talking about today is thinking, can this happen in America? And when we think of immigration in America, What we're thinking about is individuals looking at America and thinking that there I can build a better life. There I'll be more free. I wanna go there in order to work and live and build a better life. That's a very different context than the problems in Europe and the source, particularly when we're talking about Muslim, if you put it as immigration, what it really is and was is a refugee crisis. You have civil war, in Syria, but also, I mean, you can think of it: as civil war in Iraq. I mean, there was invasion and then civil war in Iraq, civil war in Afghanistan, and people fleeing. That's a very different context. You all of a sudden have hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of people who are trying to get out of their country, of where they live, and go somewhere else. It's a refugee crisis. Part of what that means is that it's in part a foreign policy issue. It's There's a role for government here of what are you gonna do when there's a civil war in another country, and all of a sudden there's a mass of people who are trying to leave that country and go somewhere else. And it's like, they don't have any time even to take often their whatever resources they have, including money and so on when they're fleeing. It's, it's just such a different context. It would be like, there's a difference between When they painted, oh, we've got a crisis at the southern border, there's a big difference between calling it a crisis when what it is is people want to come to the U.S. and work versus if there were a civil war in in um, Mexico and all of a sudden there's hundreds of thousands of people fleeing that you can't think, well, that's just an issue for the private people. How are you going to deal with this? There's a real role for government there. And so if you don't distinguish those, then it, you're not distinguishing things that need to be distinguished and that you can think about differently. You don't have to have the same view and conclusions about immigration and about how to deal with a refugee crisis. But if you treat them all, it's all the same thing, then it's, okay, whatever I say about one, I have to say about the other. And I don't think that's true. And that's not, certainly not my view that you, one should have the same view about these two things.
0: I think that is a very important distinction because uh, what we see in immigrants here in America, people kind of like self-select and they are attracted to America because they are attracted to the opportunities that America offers and they are attracted to American culture. So that is seeking that positive in America like we have with the vast majority of immigrants that we have here is not the same as uh, refugees escaping a negative and just landing on a certain country because it's just better than the the situation that they were before. I think there is a big difference there on the motivation uh, of the immigrants and how they're going to eventually adapt and assimilate to that country. So Nikos, um, what is happening in Europe is essentially a mass refugee crisis. It it can't be really classified as an immigration crisis.
2: The problem has to do, so what people see as a problem has to do a bit of both. Here's why. Because even before the big refugee waves, there was a lot of discussion on whether people who have come earlier to Europe, for example, the UK to France, can assimilate for cultural reasons. When we say cultural reasons, they mostly refer to Muslim populations. So the one is the issue of assimilation. The other issue is that since 2015, 2016, there was the wave of refugees that made the case more complicated. So let's see what are the facts. Let's see what are the numbers in Europe. And by the way, this has been more difficult to figure out than I thought, particularly the topic of where do people come from? What is their cultural, ethnic, religious background? There are many countries that just don't want to know or that claim that it's of no importance. So for example, there are countries where you have data about how many people come in, how many of the crimes are committed by people who come in, but you are not allowed to register, official bodies are not allowed to register the the ethnic backgrounds of the perpetrators. So let's get back to the facts. Around 9% of the population in Europe is immigrants, but this varies from country to country. We will focus on two countries Germany and Sweden for two reasons first they are the countries that have the highest percentage of immigrants and also they are the countries where we heard a lot of stuff about problems in assimilating recent waves of refugees so in both German and Sweden approximately one in four people is either an immigrant or they have been born in a house of immigrants And in both of these countries, there was a significant influx of people around 2015-2016 at the peak of the refugee waves from Syria, but also from Iraq. So for example, Germany in that period, within one and a half years, had to import more than one million refugees, more than one million in one year. And recently they had the same issue with allowing approximately 1 million Ukrainian refugees. Now, what are the problems that uh, are reported with welcoming these refugees? One problem is the rise in crime. So, and this is the area which is very, very difficult to find what the truth is. So particularly when it comes to crime of a sexual nature, sexual assault, Rape, we see a similar trend in Germany and Sweden. We see that since the 2010s, there has been an almost 50% rise in these uh, attacks, in sexual assault, rape. Now, is this because of the refugees? Again, it's very difficult to know. There seems to be correlation. It's very difficult to establish causation. Also, with this type of crimes, often the definitions change, so it's very difficult to say, yes, I can tell you that, more refugees or more immigrants, more sexual crimes. But we see an upward trend. That's the one issue. Another issue that is of concern to people is do these people actually assimilate in terms of finding a job? And here the statistic is that from all the Syrian refugees that went to Germany, almost 15% of them found a stable job. Now, you could either say this is impressive, 50% is a big number, The other way of looking at it is that this means that hundreds of thousands are still without stable occupation, which means they're still a burden to the taxpayer. And the third important issue is, does this mean, does this big waves, does this big entry waves from Muslim countries, does this mean that sooner or later, the culture of Europe will be changed? Does this mean that also the demographics of Europe will change? And again, this is an area which is so difficult to do research on that it's very difficult to provide accurate data. Take this with a lot, with many pinches of salt, but according to some sources that have done the research, in Sweden, for example, within 30 years, one in four people might be uh, of a Muslim background. Now some people say the number is going to be smaller, The number, or others say the number is going to be bigger. That's one issue. The other issue is what are the tendencies, what are the ideas, what are the views of many of the people who come from different cultures, from the European one. And here again, what usually happens is that you get a piece of inform of news in the, in the news that says there has been a research and for example, X amount of people, like half of people in Muslims, sorry, half of Muslims in the UK think that homosexuality should be criminalized. Or you hear things like 42% think that the wife should stay at home or 30% support Sharia law. Now, these are important numbers. And these are tendencies and cultural ideas that are quite alien to the European ones. The problem is that whenever you see such a headline, everyone rushes to say This is racist. This is uh, this, The data is not accurate. But you never hear a counter says, and here's the accurate data. So how many are the people, for example, from a Muslim background who want the Sharia law? Is it 30%? Is it 20%? Is it 40%? And at what point does this become a problem? So these are some of the biggest questions and some of the biggest issues discussed in Europe these days. Again, unfortunately, because these discussions are considered politically incorrect. It's very, very, very difficult to find data that you can say, yes, this is very reliable.
0: I think that also part of what people are reacting to is that there are so many cases of uh, people with uh, Arab and Muslim backgrounds attacking, for instance, women. So as most people know, in uh, Muslim majority countries, women are treated worse than second class citizens they are essentially property to men and they are treated with violence they are treated as objects and what people are responding to is the rise in sexual assault in the in Europe and it's not only just you know rape it could be something like people uh, men groping women uh yelling things violent and aggressive things to them in the street so uh i have read the uh I am Hirsi Ali's book, uh, Pray, and she talks about how women's lives have been completely disrupted in many areas of Europe because of the mass um the mass influx of Arab uh, and Muslim men that want to bring their way of treating women to Europe. And one event that has made the headlines and is very well known is New Year's Eve in twenty fifteen, uh in uh in the city of Cologne, Germany, near the cathedral, uh, about 1500 men of Arab and North African backgrounds got together and most of them apparently were asylum seekers and they sexually harassed and assaulted essentially any woman they came across. So I, I, as a woman and as a human being, I'm really uh, disgusted that this is happening in Europe. And I think it's a concern that that is the type of concern that people are responding to. Can this actually happen in America? And, Sorry, that, and there's a second will, group, yeah. there's a
2: second group, there's a second group which has seen a significant rise in attack against it. It's a group which is uh, the Jews, particularly in France. So there have been years mm-hmm. where in France, you have an average of almost two anti anti-Semitic attacks per day. Some years ago, I was in Berlin, I was drinking a coffee, and opposite, there was a building, and there was some police with a gear, like Robocop-like gear and machine guns. So I asked the waiter, what's happening there? And they told me, oh, that's the local synagogue. That's how it is 24 seven. So again, who is who is perpetrating these attacks? The fact that we, that we don't want in Europe to discuss these issues make it very difficult to say, This is exactly what is happening, and this is who is to blame.
0: Yes, yes, that is true. Uh, But yes, Ankar?
1: Yeah, I'd put it more strongly than you don't, that Europeans don't want to discuss the issues. And you see some of this in America as well, but I think it's more pronounced in Europe and it's more pressing in Europe. It's an active denial of what is actually happening. So it's not just we don't want to discuss it. We're gonna pretend and evade. So we're gonna pretend that something different is happening and we're gonna evade any argument or evidence to the contrary. So part of what happened in Germany, the and if you followed it at the time, that it so there were some whisperings that something happened really bad in New Year's Eve and there was widespread official denial of it. No, it didn't happen. This is anti-immigrants, the far right, trying to um, just get media exposure and so on. So, and it was significant, the attempt to cover it up. And so that's not just what we won't talk about it. We're gonna deliberately misrepresent and lie about what is actually happening. And if you're if you've descended to that level, you've got a real problem. And so the wider context for this is is nine eleven. And this is what happened after 9-11. And it's again, I think it's in some ways worse in Europe, but you saw it in America as well. And you can't understand, I think, what has happened politically in the last 25 years if you don't understand this context, which was widespread denial and evasion that Islam, as it's preached throughout the Middle East today, and if we're talking about 9-11, going back 20, 25 years, 30 years, is militant. It's seeking political power. It's trying to recruit people to this cause, a political totalitarian cause. The spearhead was what happened in Iran. and it, the question in the West is, are you going to face that fact or not? And after 9-11, people um, bent over backwards to say, whatever you say about this and whatever you think the cause is, don't you dare say it has anything to do with Islam. And even more than that, and even in the U.S. And, and the U.S. Is, is the country that's attacked. And our president a week later says, well, but Islam's a religion of peace. And don't, so not even don't think there's a connection. The connection is Islam preaches peace, and somehow, nevertheless, we've had this attack. So it's th- like they're working against this, and nevertheless, we've had this attack. That's just a pretense and evasion. And anybody looking at the situation can see that. And so it's not just they won't talk about it, it's outright lies about it. And if you just look at the surveys of people in the Middle East about some of their beliefs, you can't think that what's being preached as Islam today doesn't have some causal relationship to what these people want and what they want politically. And you can't think it doesn't have some kind of relationship to the rise of Iran in the last, I uh, mean, since the Iranian revolution or the rise of Saudi Arabia. And so, it, in that context, if you've got this massive evasion and then you have a refugee crisis, um, and Part of what was was experienced in Europe is, and this is what part of what makes it different than immigration in actual immigration. The people, which means this individual citizens in the country have to be welcoming to immigrants, not every single citizen. And it's not like you have a vote and has to be unanimous. Yeah, we're going to let this person or that person into the country, but it has to be that citizens. Yeah, we want these people here. Is it, I want to marry this person or I want to hire this person? So, and part of that, then there's a selection that goes on as, yeah, we see this person as he's going to be a hardworking person that I want to deal with. And a refugee crisis, again, is not that. It's not that kind of selection going on. And so if you have, it's a refugee crisis here with its Muslims, many of whom are obviously going to have these kinds of ideas. Because that's where they're coming from. And you put the self selection, which is true, that it's getting people who want to build a better life, but it's also what that often means is they see the problems in their own society. And it's like, I don't want to live here. I want to live there. And here you don't. So they neither want to live in the country. They don't think, oh, I want to come to Germany because it's great. But they also don't see the problems in their own what they see is well there's bombs falling on my building so i have to run away but that's not the same as there's something wrong with my culture and so you're getting it's very different what you're getting and then if it's in the context that we're going to deny all of this and evade and pretend otherwise that's i mean it has to be a recipe for disaster and this is part of why it's like there's not that same reason to think this is what would happen in America for both. there's not as bad as it, the situation is in America, I don't think it's that evasive. And there's not reason to think we're going to have hundreds of thousands of Muslims who like that's the only immigrant we're going to have. And but that's what a, again, a refugee crisis is, like that's all that's coming. Um, and it's just not the context in America.
0: Yes, exactly. It's not the context in America, and you said immigration, in America. It's the, everything looks very different, and that's true. For instance, one of the countries that I often get, like you know, quoted a lot as okay, this country has a ton of problems. France. France is the ten percent of the population in France is foreign born, so immigrants, asylum seekers, etc. And fifteen percent of the U.S. population is foreign born. So we have. 5% more uh, po- uh, immigrant population in the United States or, or foreign-born population, and we don't see the type of problems that Europe is experiencing. One claim that is often made is that, for instance, immigrants are uh, disproportionately responsible for crimes you know, versus US citizens. But this is not the case like it can be in Europe. This is not true. The data shows that both legal and illegal immigrants commit less crimes than native-born Americans. And uh, for the illegal immigrants, it's, it's a, a bit hard to gather this data because usually most states do not uh, collect information on the immigration status of a person that committed a crime or allegedly committed a crime. But there is one state that does this, which is the state of Texas, and they issue reports to this effect. And we see in Texas that uh, the both legal and illegal immigration population are Way less uh, responsible for crimes than uh, American uh, than American citizens. There is another issue that happens in Europe, which is immigrants get really easy access to uh, the welfare to welfare programs, and I think this is a big issue because I think that the and you guys can tell me if you don't agree with this, but I think that. A country that has very easy access to welfare for anyone that just arrives in the country and is at, like seeking asylum has not been granted asylum yet, they can live there and just collect welfare. That will attract a certain type of immigrant that is more reluctant to work, I think. Um, and that is not the case in the United States. You know, there's this myth that uh, immigrants abuse welfare, but the reality is that legal immigrants, meaning people with green cards uh, don't get access to mean tested uh, federal we- uh, welfare programs until five years after they have been present legally in the United States. Uh, l- illegal immigrants don't get access at all to these uh, federal welfare uh, programs except for emergency Medicare. State wise, it varies depending on the state when it comes to state uh, welfare, but they usually get very little access if they get access at all. So we see this difference between Europe and the United States, where it's really hard for an immigrant or uh, asylum seeker to get access to welfare in the United States, where it's really, really easy to do it in Europe. And furthermore, it is really, really hard for, uh, for people in Europe to get work permits. It can take up to six months. Be kind of generous. It takes can take up up to six months to get a work permit, and in the meantime, they can live off of welfare and they are provided housing and all sorts of things. So, this is some of the difference in general between the uh, European uh, population when it comes to immigrants and the American immigrant population. Now, a valid objection would be, well, but you know, they like what about the Muslims? The problem is that the the religion of these of these refugees is contrary to to the values in Europe so when it comes to Muslims in particular uh, we have data from America that uh, Muslim immigration uh, Muslim assimilation is going really well in America uh, Muslims in America are much more likely to be aligned with the opinions of uh, the general public than are Muslims in Europe so, This phenomenon occurs where the views of Muslim Americans do not reflect the views generally of Muslims worldwide. They are much, much more assimilated culturally than uh, Muslims in Europe, and they have adopted much more broadly the values uh, of American culture. Uh, And this this can be shown, for instance, in uh, what Muslims, uh, uh, the opinions of Muslims about certain issues that align much more with the, uh, the American public's opinion on, on these issues than in Europe. For instance, um, there's, a, there's a study from Pew that says that while the vast majority of uh, Muslims around the world are very much opposed to homosexuality, 45% of Muslims in the US consider homo- homosexuality as morally acceptable. So they are completely fine with it. So contrast that with only 5% of Muslims worldwide that accept that uh, um, homosexuality is morally acceptable. And there are other type of metrics, other research that has shown that Muslims in America are much, much, much more assimilated to American values to America than Muslims around the world. They are much more liberal in their opinions and the things they practice, much less likely to wear uh, jihabs, niqabs and this data so this data has been changing dramatically late uh, in, the, in the last several years so they are assimilating apparently at a really really high uh, pace they're really assimilating really fast uh, so this is the type of things that point to okay we don't are not seeing these problems the same problems in europe as we see in america we don't see sorry the same problems in america as we see in europe when it comes to immigration and specifically with muslims they are much more assimilated than uh, Europe than European Muslims.
2: So what is different has in... Yes go
0: ahead. So the
2: question is what is different in Europe? Why don't they assimilate in, in, in Europe? So and I think the answer is you, you mentioned that they make they 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 see the American values and they adopt them. And the question is what are the values in Europe? because Europe more and more is proud of not having any distinct values. So there have been many cases of high level European intellectual leaders or politicians being asked, you know what, our culture is going to be eroded. And their answer is, okay, so what? Or they ask like, what is our culture? So it's one thing to say we have a culture and it's in risk of being eroded, But Europe is one step further, which is, do we even have a culture? Do we we even have distinct values? And here, I want to say a very quick personal story. Around 2015, I was working in my university in in an outreach job, which is, I was going to local schools and delivering sessions with uh, intellectually interesting topics. So one school asked me to organize a day about what is Britishness? What are the British values? I was already, I thought, okay, that's going to be a tricky topic. So we had a whole month of preparation back and forth with the teachers, back and forth with the outreach admins. At the end of the day, we zoomed in two things. One was the NHS, the national healthcare system, and the other was diversity. So I thought how weird that the country defines itself by its healthcare system. I mean, Cuba is doing this. And the other thing is diversity, which is not a value, it's a description that we have different people, but doesn't say anything. Anyway, even this at some point was considered too controversial. So to cut a long story short, the session was canceled. At some point, they told me, forget it. This session is not a good idea. So we have people in Europe who don't know what they stand for, who couldn't care less about standing for something. So what we're saying to people who come in is you have to assimilate in what? in nothingness, or they have to assimilate in very socially engineered and shallow values, such as for example, again, diversity, that doesn't mean anything or quote fairness. And people can smell that these values are nothing. So they say, okay, there is not much here to assimilate in. So why not keep my culture? People are telling me my culture is equally good with other cultures. People tell me I don't need to get rid of some of the bad ideas that I carry with me for the people who carry bad ideas with them. And therefore, many people do not see the need for assimilating. Of course, we have to say the majority, I would say, of people, or at least the people I knew in the UK, have actually assimilated in what we would call more Western values. For example, respect for the individual, respect for women, respect for equality of rights, treating people decently. But Europe is in this moment in history when when it really struggles to even accept that it needs to have some deeper core values. As for example, the United States, the pursuit of happiness, the idea that uh, you were born free and you have individual rights and property rights. So this thing in Europe is much, much, much weaker. Onkar, am I getting into something? Yeah, though
1: I would add that, so you can look at diversity as many people use it, as they're just throwing around a buzzword, they don't know what it means. It doesn't stand for anything in their minds. But in the leadership's minds, I think it stands for what you said near the end, which is every culture is the equal of every other. And what it really means is, uh, when we're talking at this cultural wide level, is don't you dare think that Western culture is better than any other Culture. So it's the target is Western culture and the idea that it's if you say Western culture is superior, you're like a racist who says the white skin is superior to black skin. They don't make any distinction between a set of ideas which is chosen and can be true or false, good or bad, and some uh, physiological characteristic like skin color that is absolutely irrelevant to judging a person. Person's ability or moral standing, and so that the more that is the official position, then you can understand something like what happened after nine eleven. Whatever we do, we dare not say that Western values are better than their own values, and so we dare since they all believe in Islam, and so we dare not say there's some problem with Islam. No, that's just a difference that is a difference that we should tolerate or even embrace and welcome. And if you're doing that, you're telling people there's you should not assimilate. You're actively discouraging them from thinking there's anything valuable here. Um, and if you combine that with the issue of welfare, and I'm I suspect it is easier to go on welfare in Europe than it is in America, but I suspect it's probably not that easy. This again is I think a reason why to distinguish a refugee crisis from immigration. A refugee crisis, uh, the way that they are handled now, is almost by definition welfare. It's the government steps in and we're going to house you, we're going to put you in place. So it's all taxpayer money going to these people. Um, and even the, they are there's a difference between how in some countries handle it, where they try to do, there's more of the private sector that gets involved and wants to say, yeah, we're ready to help out in this way, so it's not just at the taxpayer's expense. But when you're thinking of refugees, asylum seekers, It's the state is putting them up and that in that sense, you can think of it as welfare, but the person who's coming in to who wants to work. He's not seeking welfare and there's something disingenuous about saying what they want is welfare while simultaneously making it hard for them to work. I'm sympathetic to the person who says, yeah, let's make it as easy as possible for these people to work. And yeah, it should not be easy for them to get welfare. But if you're simultaneously, they should not go on welfare, but let's make it as hard as possible for them to work. You're just anti the immigrant um, in a kind of xenophobic way. And part of so what part of what is different about the US is it's largely people who come, who want to work. That's part of why the when one looks at the welfare statistics, they're lower. There's not that many immigrants on welfare. They want to come to work. It's relatively easier. And that's how assimilation happens. So th- I think there's basically two forces that drive assimilation, which is that they get involved in the education system. And this is why uh, when you see a generation after of the people who've been educated and gone to school in the country, have they're much more like a uh, citizen of that country with the same ideas, the same values and that they work in the country and they learn the ethos of the country through being employed. And so when you think of Muslims in the U.S. and that they're more assimilated, I think it's basically three factors. One, they're not just refugees. They're people who want to leave and want to come to America. And as we said, that's often they see problems in their own country and they see that America is better and want to come because of that. And then either they get involved in the education system or their kids get involved in the education system. And they get exposure to the culture through that. And then meet people and meet their kids, classmates, and so on. But then they work and they see. And part of what the America is that uh, many people remark about is they have a love of work that is very different than other places, like we work to live, and in America it seems like they live to work, but which is true in that. And you learn that much more by working in America than by taking classes about what it's like to work in America or something. And so, if you had fifty percent of immigrants who weren't working, it would be completely different of what one would think about assimilation. And so, if in Europe, partly because well they're refugees and we have to pay for their housing and so on, and then if you make it difficult to work, and then you ask well they're not assimilating. I mean you've set them up not to assimilate.
0: Right, and I read a study that highlighted how it was a it was an article essentializing a few studies that highlighted how it's much harder for, um, for immigrants to get a job in Europe, in part, even when they do have a work permit, in part because of how difficult, like all the labor regulations in Europe that make it really hard to hire someone, really expensive to hire someone. So what employers do is they try to hire people that they know are going to be more reliable. They don't have to train a lot. They don't have to struggle with their language, with them learning the language and things like that. So they tend to hire the natives and they tend to not hire. Uh, the immigrants because it's a less risky uh, it's a less risky situation for them because of all and these par- labor regulations in Europe.
1: And part of the regulations are it's hard to let someone go to fire someone so and then yeah like to, it are you going to be risk averse if like I hire someone and it doesn't work out and I can't get rid of them I mean that sets it up that you're going to be risk averse and again the U.S. isn't great in regard to this but it's a lot easier to let somebody go who's not working out
0: yes and on top of that there have been the government has actively meddled into the assimilation pro, uh, process of the of the immigrants by instituting in some countries these uh, multicultural initiatives and essentially what they did like in places like Germany and the Netherlands is not encourage assimilation. They encourage people to just remain with their values of their culture and all of their customs and what it really did what it what these programs do in the end is it helped they help legitimize the segregation that occurs. So there's for instance in in the Netherlands there was a a, a law called the Ethnic Minorities Act that essentially used uh government money to uh Fund religious institutions and educational programs and uh, and media for immigrants that encouraged immigrants uh, to coexist with the Dutch, not to assimilate to to the culture in the Netherlands. So this in turn led to separation and desegregation of immigrants communities versus the Dutch. They just live separately, as if they live in two completely different nations as opposed to integrating with them. So the government also actively meddles with these two. And when we see these uh, multicultural programs, they really do the opposite of what they intend supposedly to do.
2: And part of the problem here is that many of the intellectual and political elites, for lack of a better word in Europe, they feel an important level of distance from the local population in terms of values, in terms of their sensitivities, and in some way they see the immigrant as also a good chance of social engineering of saying okay now we can change also the minds of these brutes our natives that don't understand so but they don't do this in terms of we have these important values and we wish everyone will have these values it's more like okay we are going to use again these social engineered values to impose them on the population and we will do this via this idea of uh, yeah, let's say the immigrants have their own values, but you people, the natives, cannot have their own values. And here's a, a point related to this. The more the government intervenes in welfare and economic regulation, the more immigration becomes a win-lose. Let me give you an example. In the UK, there has been a lot of discussions about what is the net cost of immigration to the taxpayer. So, for example, there have been pieces of research that say that immigration has cost the country 100 billion in the last decades. But this can be divided. For example, I- immigrants from within the EU have a net benefit to the economy. Immigrants from outside the EU have a net cost. And, of course, everyone has a net cost in the UK because usually it runs a, a, a deficit. But this would never happen if it weren't for the mixed economy for the welfare state. You'd never see someone, you'd never see your peer, your co-worker and try and think, okay, is he a burden on my wallet or is he, or is he someone who is also contributing? Of course, this is not exclusively an immigration issue, but the fact that we have the welfare state, it makes every immigrant who comes in, we see them as, oh, this might be a bigger burden on my already overburdened wallet. So there are the objective problems of immigration. But what exacerbates this is the fact that, again, Europe is a continent and societies with very, very important confusion on what are our values, with a, a, a chasm, a gap of values between the intellectual classes and the rest of the population. And on top of that, a welfare state so this is this creates the perfect storm that makes immigration such an issue which is almost unsolvable
0: and i think that this has to have started somewhere like why is this why are people so different in their ideas about immigration and society structured so differently from say from a philosophical standpoint so uh i think it, it does go back to the founding of America and its development. So for starters, one thing is that America, immigration was essential to America's founding and, and its development uh, in throughout the years and how America became to be what it is. Immigration was such a big aspect and component of that. While in Europe, I think immigration is, is much more recent than that. But Onkar, what else is there about America's funding that is different than Europe and helps inform this different perspective in America when it comes to immigrants.
1: It's the whole idea of the American experiment, which is a, I like that language. I actually know people who don't like it, but I like it in this sense that what America was, was something radically new. And in that sense, it's an experiment. It's not just copying what happened in the past and we know it works. It's rather what the American Founding Fathers, though they learned from the past, they wanted to set up a system that had never existed before in human history, a system in which the government has a crucial role, but a highly delimited role. Its role is to secure and protect the rights of individuals, which means the freedom to live their lives, to think, to produce, to keep what they produce and pursue their own happiness. And it's that idea at some level, it's not that every immigrant coming from around the world could articulate the founding fathers vision for what government should be and why it's radically new, but they had a sense that I'm gonna be free there in a way that's not true in my home country. And it's not true if I just moved from uh, England to France or something. Uh, My parents are immigrants from one from Germany, one from India. They came to Canada rather than the US, but part of it is, yeah, I'm coming to North America. There's something new going on there that has never happened before. I want to be part of that and I want to pursue my own life there, but also be part part of this experiment that we're going to build something new. And it's again, since it's based on an idea, it didn't have and was new and they thought of it as new. We don't care what you thought have thought about in the past, what your background is, what your great-great-great-grandfather did. If you're interested here in coming to America and building something new, then you're welcome. And even putting it that way is putting it in terms of an ideal. When you read about the history of immigration to America, it's, a lot of groups start off by being demonized oh, yeah, we don't want the Irish, we don't want the Italians, we don't want the Chinese. But the wider idea was, yeah, but this is supposed to be a country for the individual. And it's you're supposed to be able to pursue your own happiness. And like, what does it matter that somebody's Italian or Chinese born in Italy, has Italian parents and so on? And it's that idea that won out. And it didn't win out easily, but it, to say America's a country of immigrants, it's, that's the experiment that went on. And what it showed is, yeah, this is, what America did was liberate talent, intelligence, productivity from around the world. When you read about the, the heroes of American industry, of American science, so many came from other countries. And, they, and they're able to prosper in America and weren't in other places. And that's the experiment. And it was a hugely successful experiment and it's just that's just not the context for europe and so there's something that america in its soul knows yeah immigration is good even though there's a large faction now that's against immigration so on there's a sense that yeah but american immigration go together and it's true that they go together because if it's based on an idea it's open to anyone from around the world
0: and I think that absolutely informs like to this day how people view immigrants, like um I think you were referring to earlier, essentially, if you want to come here and work and be productive and be peaceful and build a better life, like Americans view you as an American. I mean, I've been like I remember one conversation I had with someone once when I was uh, a few years ago when I began working at ARI. I was having a conversation with someone and that person said, yeah, we Americans, meaning you and me and the rest of Americans. And I was like, okay, oh, and I actually stopped. Is it, did you view me as an American? Yeah, I mean, you're here, you're working like you're, like me, like, yeah, you're an American, which is different from what I've seen from, but Nikos, you can uh, talk more about this since you actually live in Europe, but from what I have read and seen in Europe, it's much different. You're not a French, person, just because you're there working and building trying to build a better life, you're not going to call you French. In Germany, they're not going to call you you're a German because of that, you know, and um, that is just really different, I think, from from the two societies and cultures.
1: I'd say so the way you put it of Americans attitude and the, they viewed you as an American and oh, you're working here. I put it, I think it, yeah, that's the phenomenon, but part of what they sense is, and you want to be here, and that's what makes you American, that it's, it's you view this place as good, like, I, this is a place I want to be, and they view it, the typical American views this country as good, but open to other, like, if you also view it as good, yeah, you're as American as I am. And I think that's true even, so there is a significant anti-American, sorry, anti-immigration element in American politics right now. But even that element is, there's a difference between, can you stoke it politically? Can you demonize immigrants and say they're taking our jobs and they're committing crimes? and And yeah, I don't want that in my country. But even people who will vote for that, when they're at an individual level and they they're at work and they meet someone from who's co- who's an immigrant who's come from another country and they see yeah this person's hardworking just like me and he seems to value the country just like me and he has Fourth of July a party just like I do so it's yeah they, they will embrace that part even if politically you can then say well but immigrants we don't really want that it doesn't always. And I think, typically, it doesn't translate into their attitude towards individual people. Um, there are some who, even like when, when they find out you're an immigrant, and they, there's a real hostility there, but it's not the majority of Americans. And it's I don't even think it's that prevalent among the people who will vote for someone saying, well, we're going to close down the border and build a wall, and so on. And that's because at an individual level, An American actually values his country and responds positively to other people, wherever they're from, who also value the country.
0: Okay, so let's... I have a question, and I think it's a valid question that people would ask. So if we have that in Europe, these... um, refugees and these asylum seekers and just foreign-born people that are immigrating and committing crimes such as is prevalent in in, in Europe. And here's the elite claims that they have almost like total impunity. They know they can kind of like get away with it. Even like people that have deportation orders because they have committed a crime, including sexual assault and things like that. They are just, they can live years in Europe without actually having that enforced, without actually being deported. So and part of the claim that we had discussed is that the politicians, governments look the other way because it's seen as racist to enforce these laws and to call out uh, the fact that, okay, these people were asylum seekers, they were refugees from this particular country that is Muslim majority. It's seen as a really racist xenophobic. Could that ever, if we had, an influx of Muslim immigrants, which we have said it probably wouldn't be, uh, for several reasons, that big. But let's say we have an influx of immigrants that begin committing crimes. Do you think that same mentality, given what we are seeing culturally, could actually happen in the US or would the law be enforced regardless?
1: I think it's possible it could happen. I think it's much less likely that it can happen, but one sees elements of it. So, uh, and take both um, the US and Canada, and they're interesting, the similarities and differences as well. So, I mean, this is part of the issue when people talk about a city like Chicago and that it has real ghettos, the crime is very high there, and there's a, a worry, and I think it's a worry founded in fact that the police avoid it in certain kinds of ways and are not upholding the law in the same way that they would in a prosperous neighborhood. And the real victims of that are the peaceful people, they might be poor, um, they might not be making that much money, but in those neighborhoods who actually want better and more effective policing, and they're not getting it, and they're not getting it in part because it's seen as, well, it would be that is tyrannical or racist to do this. This was part of Black Lives Matter and to get rid of the police and so on. If when you go into some of these neighborhoods, it's not as though the people there, even if they have black skin, it's they're all against the police. They want effective policing. They don't want police harass them and so on, but they're not anti-police because they re- re- recognize they're the victims and the primary victims of the kind of crime that goes on in their neighborhoods. And so if that can be overlooked, and I think there's an element of it's, yeah, like we're gonna leave that and not really impose the law there or fully impose the law there. You can imagine that happening in regard to immigration. And you can even think in the history of the country, part of that, that you have get, so it, it's a natural thing for immigrants to first um, go into certain neighborhoods and so on where, okay, people, I don't yet speak the language, but I can interact with people who speak my, the language from where I'm coming. So there's Italians that go into parts of a neighborhood, Jews who go into parts of a neighborhood, Irish and so on, and that that you can get crime in those neighborhoods. And again, if you don't have full policing, it's easy for that. Part of, and again, part of why the issue of a refugee crisis matters is it makes a difference if you have, yeah, there's some people coming from Italy, some people coming from China, some, it's not all one whole alien thing that has come, but a refugee, and if they're all coming from countries that have a similar religion, similar ideas, you all of a sudden have hundreds of thousands of people like that. And that makes it easier that you could get what they call no-go zones in Europe and so on. And then if you have that we're not going to police this and that it would be racist or um, imposing our Western values that's wrong to intervene in these kinds of places, that's a recipe for disaster. And the, part of what's interesting about Canada, so Canada's more multicultural than the U.S. and will push more, like all the cultures, they're equal and so on. But, and it's a land of immigrants, I mean, it the, the percentage of the population that is immigrant and coming from elsewhere is very high in Canada, but it's coming from across the world. And that makes a difference, and it makes a difference even for multiculturalism, because it's these people coming from all kinds of different places, speaking different languages and so on, and a common denominator is, Well, we'll meet by speaking English or French and we'll learn the values of Canada and so on. And so there's less of a problem, even though it's more multicultural, because it doesn't just have refugees from one area of the world. And like a lot of them who have come into the country in a very short period of time and then thinking, well, what multiculturalism requires is telling them they're as good as us and they don't have to assimilate. And there would be something wrong if they assimilate that would, that's just a different circumstance, and that's again why there's something unique going on in Europe. It's a combination of forces, all like, and the, that combination of forces is, is producing a disastrous result. I think.
0: And you mentioned oncar the issue of, of language um, and how people come together, like they they come from all parts of the world, speaking different languages, and they come together, like in Canada, for instance, to speak English or French. And Ayn a makes a point uh, related to this in her essay. Uh, well, it's a talk that was turned into an essay, Global Balkanization And I think you can explain it better than I can, Onkar, what the point is. She makes has a whole hypothesis of the importance of language in, in cultures.
1: Well, yeah, so that you can take two different angles on it. So one, just the assimilation angle, and then the wider issue, I think, that she's raising. Because uh, the global balkanization is an article about tribalism, and that's the wider issue. But just in terms of assimilation, it, it is another factor. So I put education and work as the two main things that drive assimilation into a culture. But another is that you have to learn to deal with the government and with the law of the new country to which you have um, uh, which you now find yourself in and you want to live in. And the less that they cater to you and say, um, th- that is the government, say, we're going to have eight languages and, yeah, you might speak Chinese. You don't have to learn English if you're in the U.S you can just keep doing that and we'll cater to you. You're setting it up again, that that it's they don't need to assimilate. And the more it's one of the reasons to learn the language is that you have to be able to deal with the government and with the law, then that sets up an incentive to do that. And part of the, her view, I think is, and I, I agree with this, is that part of what it means to say that the law is accessible to everyone is it's in this language you have to learn this language in order to understand the law. That's part of what it means if you want to become a citizen of this. And we've got so it's, it's all that the citizens can interact and communicate all with one another because they speak a common language and part of that is that it's the official language of the government and that's an aspect of assimilation. And the more that you say no, we're not going to do that. And just think in the U.S., but it's somewhat similar in Canada. It, it's now oh no, but in public education, so these are government schools. No, you can just sp- continue speaking Spanish, and we'll cater to that. And so you're again, it's you're not asking for assimilation. Um, but the wider hypothesis that she's drawing is the countries that think language is important, and then are balkanized, based on language, and we want, we're not going to have one official language, we want two, we all want our representation, and she gives Canada as an example, and it is a good example of this, of, no, we have to have English and French as our official languages, that what it speaks about is a culture that's more tribal, that there's something significant in the way that we pronounce words, and we want to maintain that. And you saw that in Canada in regard to Quebec, Um, and it created a big political crisis in uh, Canada. And it's part of that, so her hypothesis is these countries are less ambitious, they have less achievement when you look over centuries because they're more tribal. Um, And Canada compared to the US, Yeah, the US is more ambitious, it's more entrepreneurial. And she thinks like this is one of the aspects that explains that difference. But she gives other examples of the way she thinks that works.
0: Yeah. Okay, so we've explored most most of what uh, we wanted to explore and say, I think we've done a good job at explaining the reasons why this is, what the problems in Europe are not likely to happen in America. But there's... One more thing that I'd like to address, which is, I, I want to be clear that I think the religion of Islam, the way it's, it's practiced in many parts of the world, the way they see women in Muslim-majority countries, is a problem. And the the, concern, the the issues that we see with sexual assault and other related crimes in in Europe is something that happens routinely and is legal in the countries where these immigrants are coming from so how much of this problem is about this worldview that islam provides these people being absolutely incompatible with the values that we hold here in america so how can we how much can we truly expect immigrants from muslim countries to assimilate to american culture
1: So it's true that it's a problem in the Islamic world today, but it's not as though it's the only place like this. And take another um, set of immigrants who've assimilated more, I think, which is immigrants from India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, it's not, they haven't completely, and there's problems in regard to that, but problems for the same reasons that it's, they, they have a worldview um, that is preached in those countries. And again, it's not that everybody shares this worldview, but that is pretty anti-woman. And if you read stories about, it, just about India and the status of women in India, nobody can think the status of, of women in India is that good and anything like on par of a Western country. And so people with coming from those countries have aspects of that kind of world view as well. And part of assimilation is that um, you see that in this country, that kind of viewpoint is unacceptable. And the less they hear that message, the less they're gonna Assimilate, and part of what's happened, something distinctive in regard to Islam, um, because it's militant, that people are much less and much like it's hard to exaggerate how much less they are to talk about, to speak about, and to criticize this. And there were just recently, I I think it is it in regard to the Barbie movie, or I forget which that. Hindus are protesting the way that they're depicted and part of what they say is that if something from Islam was depicted like this, you guys would bend over backwards at editing it out of your movie, but you don't do it, you don't cater to us like this and there's an element of truth to that and certainly if you broaden it to other religions it's there will be all kinds of criticism of christianity of the mormons and so, and so on and down the line until you get to islam and part of it is precisely by how militant the religion is there's some genuine fear and there's some kind of cowardly fear i think in regard to that so it that creates a special circumstance in which it seems like islam is the only place that this is like that the women are second class or worse than second class like they're the only ones who have this viewpoint that's crazy if you think of what goes on around the world but they have a kind of special status that they're given a pass in regard to this and then if you ask well they're not assimilating the way other people are assimilated yeah we're actively discouraging them from doing so and that's part like that part of what is so monstrous in the way that islam was has been given a pass, and you can think of it, it's not only, but after 9-11, that you would still give it a pass, is monstrous, and yet that's part of what goes on. And so, it's again, it's a, there's a special circumstance in regard to it, but it's not as though it's special that people have backward views of women, and then they come to America, Canada, Western Europe, and that they have to learn something different. I mean, that's true for a lot of cultures, of what they're coming from and what they're going to. There's something good and distinctive about the Western world that women have achieved equal status.
0: So I think that part of what uh, needs to that we need to see here in America is to look at Europe and see how these they have. Given this, this I mean, it, obviously, as you said, like it's it has happened in America, but not to the extent that it's happening in Europe with these multiculturalism issues, and they just look the other way because oh, I don't want to appear xenophobic if I highlight the fact that this is an asylum seeker that committed this crime. And overall, this the, this view that these values that these people hold are equally good as the values in European society. And Nikos, you highlighted too that well, the Europeans just don't have many important values at this point anymore. they're not willing to defend anything and stand for anything. so what are they like what are immigrants assimilating to It's like a nothing. So Nikos, any parting words?
2: Well the parting words is that the immigration problem has put America Europe in its uh, its problems. That's why I described it as uh, as a perfect storm. It is a big challenge how you assimilate all these people. It, it becomes even bigger by the fact that Europe does not know what it stands for. And this is a European problem. This is, we, our intellectual brought this to ourselves. And uh, this is not the problem of, uh, this has very little to do with immigration. Europe was already in intellectual uh, crisis and immigration just made this even uh, an even bigger problem. So at the end of the day, it has to do with uh, again philosophy matters idea matters and europe was uh, naked on this film on this uh, field
0: all right so some resources for our audience that they may want to look at to learn more about the topic today uh, we mentioned the the talk by Ayn Rand global alkannization it is also available as an essay in the book uh, the voice of reason and the talk is available for free at uh, our website. And we would also like to highlight uh, Onkar and I did a podcast a few months ago on the debate around the right to immigrate, where we address the way that immigrants are talked about here, specifically in America, we don't go into Europe like we did today. And we address some of the common objections and myths that surround immigration. And next week's show show is Ayn Rand on Watergate with Ben Bayer and special guest, Dr. Harry Binswanger. And as usual, if you have any questions uh, for future Q&A episodes, uh, you can send it send them our way. And if you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts uh, and subscribe to our YouTube channel so you get notified when we upload videos and go live. And uh, if you have any questions or comments about this week's episode or ideas for a future episode, you can email us at newideal at And we read all of the emails and we respond to many of them. So thank you, Ankar and Nikos, and we'll see you all next week.
1: You've been listening to New Ideal, a podcast from the Ayn Rand Institute. If you like what you hear, leave us a review, share with a friend, and subscribe to our other podcasts. This podcast was made possible by donors to the Ayn Rand Institute. Help support this podcast by becoming an ARI member. Go to aynrand.org forward slash membership.